everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel that aims to disseminate science and research the community. My name is Nicole Chu, an undergraduate student at the University of Ottawa. In today's episode, we are honored to be joined by Dr. Adam Schuhendler, an associate professor at the University of Ottawa and Tier 2 Canada Research Chair in Chemical Biology. He is also the principal investigator of the Molecular Medicine Laboratory at the University of Ottawa, which aims to develop a diverse toolbox of molecular innovations using medical imaging techniques. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Schuhendler. Well, thanks for having me. We're so honored to have you on our podcast channel. So to begin our conversation, do you mind sharing with us some of the main research focuses in the Molecular Medicine Laboratory and perhaps some of the projects currently ongoing? in your laboratory? Yeah, yeah of course. So um, I think as a research group, we're really interested in uh, sensing. So this is um, picking up little biochemical cues of disease um, as early as possible, because we know in medicine that um, the earlier we can treat disease or find disease, the better we have chance of curing or leading to a longer healthy life. So we do this in, in two ways. The main way is we, we use imaging. So MRI is one uh, way we image, uh, PET is another, and these are both scans that happen every day in, in hospitals. Um, and we make little injectable um, molecules that will report on what's happening in your body um, through these images. And so it often just looks like a big blob um, on the screen, but that blob is really exciting because it's actually telling us what's happening um, properly or improperly at the molecular level and might be a sign of, of early disease. So imaging is one side. And the other thing we've gotten into is thinking about how can we um, use our little molecular beacons that find these biochemicals that are misbehaving. How can we make these into tests that can be used at home? Right, it's a big deal to have to go to the hospital and have a test and a scan, and you know wait times are very long sometimes. And so um, we think about basically making something that's like a pregnancy test, where you would go to the the shoppers drug mart, uh, grab a test for concussion or a test for diabetes or a test for even cancer response to therapy um, from the shelf take it home, um, do the test and get a readout that would let you see what's happening early in your own health and really take control of that at, uh, at the personal level. Oh, so you mentioned how a goal of your research is using like medical imaging technology such as PET to locate and repair areas of damage in our body. So for those who may not know, do you mind like briefly explaining what these medical imaging technologies are? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, they, they both kind of look the same from the outside. They're these big, uh, big machines that have a tube on the inside that you're supposed to be slid into. Um, but, you know, they work uh, very, very differently. So with MRI, it's magnetic resonance imaging, and the big tube is a big magnet. Um, and the magnet sees us humans as big bags of water, and it really only likes to image the, the water in our body. Um, but water behaves differently in, in different tissues. And by putting these little injectable beacons that we make into the body, we can also cause water to behave differently. And this is how we see the image forming. Um, and on the other side, PET, um, it's a, again, a big, a big tube, but that tube is now a ring of cameras 
And those cameras are very sensitive to radioactivity. And so we inject um, the, the human subject, or you know, in our case, we do a lot of animal work, so the mice, um, with a radioactive probe. It's usually uh, radioactive fluorine uh, or radioactive carbon. Um, and it's a very, very small amount. I know people hear radioactivity and they kind of tend to get all nervous, but it's less radio radiation exposure than a flight from Ottawa to Los Angeles. So it's really low doses of radiation. We put that in the body and it sticks to the different biochemical markers that we're interested to, uh, in. And that ring of cameras will then create a three-dimensional image of where that radioactivity is accumulating. Um, so on both sides, you know, we're imaging different energies in the body with MRI water, with PET, uh, a radioactive isotope, um, but they're giving really, um, really amazing information um, in three dimensions about the molecular happenings in, in the body. So I think many of our audience members and myself included might be familiar with MRI for anatomical imaging, such as going into the hospital, getting an MRI scan. However, your laboratory focuses especially on CEST MRI. Do you mind explaining like maybe some of the differences or similarities between the two? Yeah, so, so the, the CEST MRI is chemical exchange saturation transfer. Um, so it's a lot of kind of um, jargony words that are put together to um, talk about what happens and it's the transfer, it's the T that's really important. And what we're doing, um, we're still imaging body water. So the MRI is still imaging, you know, us as big bags of water, um, but the, the little beacons we're putting in have a special little hydrogen on them. And that hydrogen can exchange with the water hydrogen, right? So water is H2O. Um, and the beacon we put in um, likes, to, likes to swap hydrogens of water. And it does it at a certain rate that we can actually see it with the MRI as well. And the nice thing about the CEST MRI um, is two things. One is that the hydrogens, if we think back to you know, general chemistry and, and NMR, um, depending on the environment of the hydrogen, it will have a different chemical shift. And so we can actually see different hydrogens all at once. So we can actually look at multiple different targets in a single, single picture with the MRI, which is really a nice capability. Um, and the other one is, is the kind of cess that we do, the probes, the beacons that we inject have no metals on them. And one of the concerns potentially with MRI, especially for um, patients that might have kidney um, malfunctions or dysfunction, um, is that the metals might pose some toxicity risks. So um, we kind of can come around that risk as well. Um, so this is how it differs uh, from traditional MRI. Uh, and the nice thing is, again, we go from anatomical, like you said, to looking at molecular interactions with our beacon, and we can actually see the biochemistry happening in, in real time. Mm -hmm. That's really cool to learn how you really change the perspective and focus it on the molecular level. Mm -hmm. And sort of switching gears to more like specifics of your research works, one of your recent publications in the journal Chemical Communications focuses on the discovery of a key biomarker to help map vitamin B6 in human lung cancer xenograft models. So do you mind giving us a brief general overview of like the major findings from this study? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, vitamin B6 is something we all need. 
Um, it's an essential vitamin that um, we only get from our, our diets, from fish and red meat, and I think some, some beans. Um, and it's a really important molecule. When we take the food in and we absorb the vitamin, it actually drives like 150 biochemical reactions. So without it, we, our body really shuts down. Um, and one thing we know about cancer is cancer has found a way to use our, our normal programming and energy use and metabolism in kind of um, inappropriate ways to allow it to grow and, 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 and form tumors and overcome chemotherapy. Um, and what, uh, you know, this work was inspired by a paper out of an Italian group that showed uh, in patients with lung cancer, patients that have, um, altered usage of vitamin B6 um, actually are resistant to chemotherapy. So we wanted to explore this as a way to um, use imaging to be able to stratify patients into sensitive and resistant groups before they start chemotherapy. Because chemotherapy um, is very difficult on the patient. There's a lot of side effects and, and I think there's a lot of waiting. You know, you do your rounds of chemotherapy and then you have to wait until tumors start shrinking. And that's a long time to have to wait. Um, and so what we thought is if we can look at how the tumor um, of each individual patient is using vitamin B6 um, before they even start chemotherapy, we might be able to spare the patients who would never have responded to chemotherapy that, that um, the side effects and the anxiety of waiting um, and also start on a different treatment that might be way more effective. Um, so what we did is we came up with a, an MRI contrast agent using CEST MRI um, that actually kind of targets and binds to vitamin B6. Um, and we get the biggest imaging signal when it's the active form of vitamin B6 that's catalyzing or help to catalyze all these biochemical reactions. And so with our imaging agent, we were able to map the usage of vitamin B6 in lung tumors in mice. Um, and these were human tumors that we implant um, in the mice and we can, we can map, image with the MRI. And we were able to see differences in um, this imaging signal between tumors we knew that were sensitive to therapy and tumors that were um, resistant to the therapy even before we started. So it, it kind of starts us off on, a, on an adventure to um, really make vitamin B6 imaging a biomarker um, for, for treatment selection in, in lung cancer. And um, we actually now are funded by the Canadian Cancer Society Research Institute to expand on this project, to make a, a PET radio tracer to map the same vitamin B6 pathways. Um, and with Dr. Christina Addison at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, um, we're moving into more complex models and really trying to develop this as a, a, a diagnostic that can get to, to patients as soon as possible to help with this treatment selection. Oh, that's amazing to hear. And just like expanding more on that, what are the next like next steps or future implications of this research? Yeah, I mean, I think the next step, so we want to switch from MRI to PET because um, the dose of imaging agent we have to inject for an MRI is much higher than a PET scan. And because of the lower dose in the PET scan, um, it can actually be translated and approved for human use much quicker. So within a few years, if everything goes well, 
we might actually have an imaging um, biomarker assay for, for vitamin B6 in, that's clinically uh, relevant. Um, and in terms of the, you know, the implications, I think it's really you know, personalized and precision medicine are really what the focus of, of not just research, but clinical practices now, right? And really defining the, the molecular phenotype um, of everybody's disease to match it to the therapy. And there's a lot of different angles and aspects and approaches, but I think a major player is imaging. And if we can take a picture from outside the body of what's happening at the molecular level inside the body over the whole disease, um, we can really get a good sense of how to treat each individual patient um, with, with whatever clinical arsenal of therapeutics there are um, by knowing these, these molecular signatures. And we'll definitely keep an eye out for your new exciting work with medical imaging technologies in the future then. Great, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Hughandler, for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate your presence on our channel. Oh, it was wonderful chatting. Thank you. And this podcast was brought to you by the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, Beats Research Laboratory, and the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology, and Immunology at the University of Ottawa. On behalf of our entire team and our radio director, Dr. Emilio Alarcon, we hope to see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.